The following is a collection of podcasts from the Men of Valor program hosted by Dr. Mark Laser and Randy Everett called The God of Second Chances. Chapter 2 Today, we're going to continue our journey through Scripture, looking for some stories about sexuality that uh, reveal to us that God is, in fact, the God of a second chance. Well, we got off to a good start last week, Mark, by introducing that, uh, that topic and uh, jump-starting it all with the prodigal son. Yeah, the prodigal son is a central story. I think everyone knows that one, which is a good place to start. You know, as we talked about there, it's uh, the story of three central characters, the the father, the prodigal son, the one who repented and came home, and then the rather judgmental older brother. So today uh, I'd like to move a little bit uh, into the Gospel of John because there's a couple of stories there for us, and uh, we'll start with the later one that happens in John chapter 8. It's the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. Okay, and what's her story? <laughs> well, we don't. What, you know, one of the things about a lot of these Bible stories is we don't know exactly what her story is. You know, like what her marriage was like, uh, what her life was like, what her family of origin stuff was like. We don't know any of that. Is that because Doctor Phil did not exist uh, at that time? Well, so. it could be because you know there was no television shows to expose <laughs> these kinds of things. There were no therapists to uh, dig into the past. Uh, there were no experts in the field of infidelity really back then. What we do know from Jewish culture is that uh, it was a very patriarchal culture. It, uh, there's no doubt about it. There's no way to get around it. Uh, men were dominant, and women were really second-class citizens and uh, somewhat uh, enslaved, actually, to their husbands. In fact, it was really true, property-wise, that a wife belonged as property to her husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the interesting part about this story is that if a woman were to be caught committing some form of adultery, the husband had the right to have her stoned. So that was a legal option. So when we uh, come to our story here of this woman who is dragged in front of the crowd uh, and has been accused and I guess uh, found to be guilty of having committed adultery, uh, the act of having her stoned was uh, was a legal act. It was uh, not some mob violence. It was not some Lynch, lynching situation. It was uh, it was a legal execution of a, a known uh, Jewish law at that point. It doesn't even sound like it was that controversial. It wasn't that controversial. It would have been something that was a fairly common occurrence, I would imagine. Uh, uh, the people were used to it. Uh, it was kind of one of those spectator things, obviously, and uh, obviously very graphically violent. And uh, uh, it, it goes to show the general uh, way in which I'm guessing a whole lot of people uh, took out their anger. So we have this rather pitiful woman there, and, and uh, before we get into uh, you know what Jesus does in the story, which I think a lot of people are familiar with, uh, I thought it might be uh, good, uh, because we've been studying these kinds of things in relationship to our one-day event that we started to do, the Fight of Your Life events around at various churches. Uh, we've been studying the statistics on infidelity. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, our average listener out there is going to be aware of the fact that there's a whole lot of uh, infidelity going on in our culture. 
but it, uh, the statistics are actually, I think, uh, rather startling here. So. I, I believe so, too. They're, they're almost staggering as, like you said, this has been one of the highlight moments in our current Fight of Your Life event. And, and I think uh, most men have been kind of taken, taken back by hearing some of these stats, such as 41% of marriages... In 41% of marriages, one or both spouses admit to either emotional or physical infidelity. 40, uh, 41%. Well, you know, that's uh, staggering, like you said, and, uh, but it does go to show the uh, prevalence of this. So I think it does make our story rather relevant, doesn't it? That it does. if uh, uh, 41% of all marriages, these are not necessarily specifically Christian marriages or non Christian marriages, these are just marriages in general. 41 percent, but it gets worse. I mean, if we go on from there, uh, some some of these statistics uh, seem like they they actually make uh, the problem worse than uh, the 41 percent, because the next statistic here is 57 percent of men admit to being unfaithful in any relationship they've had. That's more than half of the men. That's more than half the men. In, My in, North Dakota math tells me that 57% is... You've been referring lately <laughs> to North Dakota math. I, I, what is that? Counting cows? Counting... <laughs> counting what, what, is, what is the basis of that? I don't know. I'm sorry. A little bad it, North it, Dakota joke. It doesn't come from counting the mountains in it North doesn't, Dakota. Or the lakes or any of that. Maybe <laughs> nuclear silos up there in North I'm, Dakota. I'm proud of my, of my heritage and my uh, original homeland. Well, you were smart enough to move down to uh, culture here in Minnesota. <laughs> yes, I did. Well, you know, those of you that are not listening, uh, uh, no, wait a minute. Those of you that are listening will notice that there are regional biases, and, uh, you know, those of us from Minnesota have them, I guess, as well. But let's stay on uh, focus here. Uh, the next stat, which, you know, you think, well, men are the ones that are out there uh, doing this kind of thing. 57% of all men admit to having an affair in any of their relationships. This, you know, goes back to high school, I guess, that they weren't even able to be uh, faithful to girlfriends back then. But lest we uh, would think that this is a male problem, 54% of the women in this study admitted to uh, infidelity in any relationship that they've ever had. So 57% men, 54% women. It's well over half for both men and women, in terms of admitting to being uh, unfaithful, that that's, it's really hard to to digest some of that without really being struck by how widespread the problem is. Um, you also point out here that twenty two percent of men and fourteen percent of women admit to at least one sexual affair during the course of their marriage. That is right. So. There again, we see that it's both a male and a female problem. The men are slightly higher there. Uh, one of the ways I've always thought about this, if men are having an affair, who are they having it with? <laughs> right. Mean, you know, there's got to be women out there doing this too, so it would make sense that uh, there's a whole lot of women that are also admitting to this problem. Now, we go on to a, uh, a second set that's related to this, and what I found uh, fascinating about this is uh, how close to home we tend to have affairs. So... 36% of men and 35% of women admit to having an affair with a co-worker. Now, one of the things that I think is uh, really illustrative about that is we, I think we've developed a rather profound corporate culture that oftentimes encourages 
or sets up an environment where people are vulnerable to having an affair. Coworkers, you know, going out to drink after work, having the office parties, uh, sometimes coworkers uh, traveling together to business uh, functions. And uh, we, we've set up a corporate environment where uh, it makes it such that uh, you know, married men, married women are working together for the same company, and they they have more time to talk intimately with their coworkers than they probably do with their own spouses. And you know that is a situation that is uh, uh, rife with the possibility of having an affair. Well, that's that subject itself, Mark, is such a relevant modern day um, situation that um, not to tip our hand, but uh, to show our listeners that we always have new projects. Uh, kind of uh, in the think tank at the moment. Uh, our good friend Dave Carter, your great friend Dave Carter, mm-hmm. uh, has been, uh, you know, even uh, sharing the idea of the two of you uh, approaching this subject of uh, attraction in the workplace because it's it's a real problem, and it's a problem that uh, needs to be brought to probably the highest corporate level in the Fortune 500 and and from that point on down companies. Well, one of the interesting things about that, by the way, is that, yes, you're right, Dave and I have talked about doing a seminar for corporations called Managing Attraction in the Workplace. The cost-effectiveness of it is that if uh, two coworkers have an affair and one or both of them have to leave as a result of this, uh, the retraining cost of the average uh, corporate employee is about twenty to $40,000. So when an employee leaves for reasons of having an affair, it may cost the corporation, let's say, an average of $30,000. So... You know, I think it uh, is a smart move for some corporations to take this situation seriously and at least do some training and education about how to avoid having affairs in the workplace. Well, so many times it's not just office staff involved right. in these affairs. Many, many times, you know, it's the highest level of uh, executives who travel for their job right. find themselves in a with an associate getting on airplanes right. going to you know from coast to coast staying in hotels for business and uh, drinking you know, and drinking and, and dinners so and and yeah. and even managing the stress of their job in, in right. these stressful environments they kind of lean on each other and you know one thing leads to another so this is a bona fide problem that uh, at some point I think you would be um, you and Dave would be great resources to to bring to these uh, companies. Well, let's just say we're open and available to that. We have a lot of fish to fry, but uh, you know that's certainly something that we're willing to address. Well, so we've already established the fact that in Jewish law that there was every legal right that uh, the husband had to have her have his wife stoned. So the crowd was assembled; they were ready to go. They all had their rocks in their hands, and Jesus comes across the scene and. Uh, uh, he is recognized as a teacher and a rabbi, so he does have some authority. And what I uh, love about this story is uh, Jesus is often a man of few words, and in this case, he's, he's a man of no spoken words. Uh, but he sits down or kneels down in the, uh, the dirt around this situation. The woman has obviously been, been thrown into some place, and she's uh, ready for the uh, the outcome here. And Jesus kneels down by her and simply writes in the dirt that that if there is anyone here who has never sinned, let him throw the first stone. 
It's kind of weaving together a theme from our first story last week, and that is that lest there be those out there that are judgmental of those who have sexually sinned, uh, we should always be aware of looking at our own life for any of our own inappropriate behaviors, maybe not necessarily sexually inappropriate behaviors, but nevertheless, you know, Paul talks to us later uh, in Scripture about, you know, there is no one who has not succumbed to temptation. We, we all fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is really pointing that out, that, that anyone who thinks that he is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So in that situation, as we would know, given our faith, Jesus was the only one who had the right to throw a stone. And what does Jesus finally say to the woman? He says, see, I see that there's no one left to accuse you because everyone had left. And uh, he said, neither do I accuse you. So the only one who had the right to throw a stone, said, you know, I am the God of the second chance. I am, I am the Son of God, and I forgive you. And then he tells her, of course, uh, to go and sin no more. Uh, for those of us that have committed adultery, uh, I think it's another one of those great stories in the Bible that reminds us that if we ever are tempted to throw stones at ourselves, and that's a very common dynamic, that many of the addicts get into their shame, and they beat themselves up, and... Uh, uh, I'd, I'd like for all of us to remember this story. Uh, Jesus, the only one who has the right to accuse us, chooses not to do it. And he also gives us a second chance. And, of course, he tells us to go and sin no more. Well, that's, that's the power of that message is the fact that we're constantly being uh, reminded uh, or the thought being reinforced that how uh, we so many times can't even fathom the depth of God's love and forgiveness for us. I'm struck by another one of these infidelity statistics, uh, and that being, with all of this in mind and with the stats that you shared with us previously, 74% of men and 68% of women admit that they would have an affair if they knew that they would never get caught. Well, you know, that's a, I, believe it or not, I think that's the saddest statistic of the ones that we've read. Uh, what it basically says is that there are a certain percentage of people who actually cross what we call the flesh line. They, they in a way, have enough, if you want to look at it this way, they have enough courage, you know, to cross a flesh line, to run a risk of actually being caught. Mm -hmm. Then we have, you know, a whole bunch of people who would do it. Mm -hmm. you know, if they could assure themselves of the fact that they would not be caught. The reason I think that statistic is important in terms of our story today is that when, when Jesus is kneeling down and saying, any one of you who is without sin uh, cast the first stone, I, I think he's pointing to the rest of these people right. who might be standing there self-righteously yeah. saying, well, I've never crossed the flesh line. Maybe not in actuality, but in your mind. If you're being honest with yourself, you're going to admit that, well, the idea has crossed my mind, and yes, I probably would, if given the opportunity, if I knew I wasn't going to be caught. That's exactly it, and Jesus refers to this also, of course, in Matthew chapter 5, where he talks about anyone who looks at another woman lustfully has so much as what? Committed adultery. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have a pretty high standard here to maintain. And I wager to say that if uh, uh, any of us modern types were standing around this scene back there in New Testament days, that uh, there'd, be, there'd be none of us that had the right to be judgmental at all about this woman. So well, 
I believe it was Jimmy Carter that reminded all of, of us <laughs> that many years ago when he admitted to having committed lust in his heart. Yeah, and uh, that was in a Playboy interview, actually, which uh, he was criticized for uh, being in Playboy. But I, but I uh, like to think if you wanted to get that message out to the average person who needed to hear it, where would you allow that interview <laughs> to be printed? <laughs> it wasn't in Reader's Digest. Because anybody who's opening that magazine to look at that interview probably needs to hear that message about lusting in your heart. Because uh, certainly, of course, there are those people, as we all know, Randy, who only read the articles. <laughs> that's, that's why they were buying the magazine, Mark. Yes, that is right. I think what uh, I would like our listeners to know is that uh, we are a, an organization, a ministry here, that believe in God of the second chance, which also means that uh, marriages where, where there has been infidelity, uh, God is the God of second chances for those marriages as well. I, somebody was telling me the other day, I forget who it was, and it's probably good that I do, uh, about what the percentage is of uh, marriages that wind up in divorce uh, when there has been infidelity. In fact, we have a statistic here that says that 69% of marriages that have experienced an affair end up in divorce. The person that I was talking to thought it was more like 90%. Really? Uh, they were just uh, pretty cynical about the possibility of any marriage surviving uh, that kind of... I know what it was. It was it was one of our new people who had come to us and said that he had talked to some Christian counselor someplace, and I won't identify where, who had said that uh, 90% of the marriages where there's been infidelity, they wind up in uh, divorce. Well, um, we like to think here that we have a better percentage of success, you know, that if both the husband and wife are willing to uh, come in and... Uh, uh, work on their relationship, learn how to grow closer together in terms of spiritual and emotional intimacy, that um, there are a lot of marriages that can survive infidelity. We, we are, are a ministry that I think represents the possibility of that. Well, what you and Debbie have always represented uh, that I've appreciated uh, is the fact that I believe that the term that you use is uh, you illustrate or you show uh, the couples that you work with, that through your own experience, that your marriage can not only survive, but can thrive. That's right. And I think uh, it takes uh, a while to get there, but to understand that, you know, when infidelity happens, it's a symptom of at least one of the people being incredibly lonely, feeling uh, disconnected, uh, feeling lots of uh, negative emotions. And um, so going through infidelity, which is a way of trying to cope with that loneliness, um, can help a couple understand or ask at least themselves the question, um, even though we, we may have been, see we may have seemed to be kind of cruising along in life, raising children, going to work, uh, uh, appearing to the outside world as if we're a normal couple, did we in fact have uh, the kind of one flesh union, sacred covenantal marriage that God intends for us to have? Were we in fact, as deeply connected as what God would intend for us to be. So the couples that come in to see us where there has been infidelity, where one of the people has been at least coping with that loneliness by going out and having an affair, maybe addicted to sex in a variety of forms, um, it at least gives the couple an opportunity to look at, you know, is your marriage, uh, or was it even, going back to the early days, was it as strong as what you wanted it to be? 
this crisis, this uh, calamity, this uh, egregious sin at least offers you the opportunity to uh, have a vision of the possibility of it being a much stronger relationship. Now, I, I want to make uh, sure that I'm quick to add, you know, for all the wives listening out there, uh, we're, we are, of course, not saying, you know, how incredibly painful it is for your husband to have committed adultery. I mean, uh, it's hard to imagine, at least relationally, a greater pain than uh, what that has caused. Uh, it creates a tremendous amount of trauma in your life, and and uh, and that's something that uh, uh, you yourself will hopefully be on a healing uh, journey around. Uh, there are a heck of a lot of wives around here at our center, uh, not just Debbie, but some of the other people who work with us, some of our other counseling staff here who've actually survived these kinds of things, and uh, a lot of other community of wives and uh, husbands who uh, are finding out that uh, as calamitous, as egregious, as uh, offensive, as uh, uh, damaging as infidelity is, uh, God is the God of a second chance, and, and that is a second chance for the marriage. A second chance for the marriage to be the marriage that uh, God called it to be, you know, a one flesh union.